Hello, everyone, and thank you for joining us for this episode of Threat Talk. I'm your host, Bob Hansman, and today's episode is titled Making Cyber Insurance Pay. Now, with all the recent ransomware incidents in the news and reports of multi-million dollar ransoms being paid, questions are coming up about how much of a role is being paid or played by the cyber insurance companies. Now, pretty much everyone has a basic understanding of, you know, that when you have insurance, it's against a possible event taking place, like a car accident, and the insurance company is going to pay out a certain amount of money depending on the details of the policy. But few people ever enjoy getting into those details. But today we're going to give it a try and try to make it enjoyable as we go. To help us do that, we've invited Krupa Srivastan, Director of Product Marketing for the Security Division at Infoblox, to join us today. Welcome, Krupa. Hey, Bob. Hey, now I wanted to start by talking about what cyber insurance really is. It, I mean, you know, obviously if you have a cyber incident, they're going to pay, but um, what can it do for somebody that, you know, is covered by a cyber insurance policy? Right. So, so like you said, the objective of cyber insurance is to minimize the impact <clears throat> of a cybersecurity event for the, uh, for the, for the organization, right? So like downtime um, and things like that? Exactly, like downtime, you know, um, impacts of other events that could uh, could take place related to a cyber attack. Now, when you look at, um, you know, it also could help some of the organizations recover some of the costs related to a cyber event, right? Um, it could be direct costs related to, uh, you know, getting back online maybe after a downtime. It could maybe it could be help. Uh, it could help. Uh, in the ransomware side of the house, the payments, and I know we're going to talk more about that. But again, it's to cover, you know, some of the liabilities also when you have some customer information that are exposed. And what's happening is the way insurance companies assess businesses also has become very complicated <laughs> in the recent years, right? Um, yeah. uh, so there's things like, you know, the questionnaire um, that initially they were using uh, for assessing companies have, have gone from like five questions to five pages or 10 pages of questions, <laughs> right? Um, and so I think those are all some of the things that come into play when you look at uh, cyber insurance. Now that also, I, you know, every time we've read about incidents, even before, you know, ransomware came out, there were companies saying, hey, we had an incident and we've hired a company to come help us. So when they have these big things, they bring in outside people. I imagine the the insurance will help cover that cost of outside help or any specialized tools and equipment as well. That's right. Yep. So wherever they can, you know, reduce the impact, they will try to help. Again, nothing is a given. It's like any other insurance, you know, you have to read the fine print, you have to look <laughs> at the in policy in detail, right? Uh, as you're negotiating the rates and things like that. But it is meant to minimize the damage or impact for, for an organization. And so, um, you know, and, and so there are some companies that opt for, for cyber insurance. Yeah, and I, I really can just in my mind see the difference between the first five or six questions that they used to only ask. Because I remember, you know, even a lot of our regulations used to simply have one line that said, oh, and by the way, to meet this regulation, you must have cybersecurity. Then they revised it and said, oh, you must have cybersecurity on all your endpoints and, and gateway security. And But, you know, they never really got into a lot of specifics until probably the last five or six years. And it sounds like the insurance companies have gotten on that bandwagon as well and gotten into a ton of detail, right? That's right. So again, they, they, as they're evaluating a company, they will look at some certain base minimum requirements that the company must meet, right? Before yep. they decide who to insure and who not to insure. 
One example could be MFA or multi-factor authentication. If multi-factor authentication is not being used, then that could mean denied coverage, right? Mm -hmm. Um, Things like that. Or maybe they may use some of the frameworks in the NIST, for example, NIST framework. So they may use some baseline requirements uh, as they're evaluating a company. So the evaluation is to, number one, see if they're even going to insure you. And then um, just make sure the listeners know where we're going to go with this is we really want to get into. So how much is it going to cost? How much insurance can you qualify? Because I know that, um, again, okay, so this sets the bar for will we insure you? But also it also probably sets the bar for how much we will insure you for. Because I know like I myself, um, you know, at my age and with some of my bad habits, uh, my insurance, they, I, I really can't get insurance over a certain level. Whereas, you know, my son at half my age, you know, he can qualify for four to 10 times as much money as, you know, I can get in an insurance policy. So I imagine companies are the same. If you're not doing certain things, they're only going to take so much risk with your organization. Exactly. Exactly. I think we talked about multi-factor authentication as Mm -hmm. one way, right. To, to see if a company is serious about improving um, their security posture. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, Because nobody wants to take, um, you know, a, a big risk for a company that is reckless, right? Yep. You want to make sure that uh, the insurance company wants to make sure that you're doing all the basic things needed to keep a, an organization or network, you know, fairly secure, yeah. right? And then anything above and beyond, you know, then they can start thinking about insuring you for that. And so things like MFA, continuous monitoring, right? Mm-hmm. Um, are you making sure you're, um, you, you have visibility into things that are on your network? Just basic things like that. If a company takes care of those or makes a you know um, concentrated effort to put in technologies in place to address those, then I think um, you know they can command better premiums. They can get insured and things like that. Yeah, and uh, again, just to to round this out before we start drill, drilling into some of these other things that uh, you and I talked about earlier that we wanted to cover it on. Um, two other things I wanted to wrap up. Number one. Um, Cyber insurance does not typically cover things like um, if you lose intellectual property, which means in the future, you're not going to be able to earn all the stuff you might have earned based on it. You know, maybe it's something that you sell to other people, you know, kind of like an OEM or something like that. Um, well, gee, now that's been released. Uh, somebody posted it on on a public server. Now everybody knows your secret formula. Um, you've lost that value. They don't typically insure against that kind of thing or future income. It's just the direct impact of the loss or as we've talked about, um, recovering your systems and getting back to normal business levels. That's pretty much where they go. Um, And the second thing I wanted to cover is that some of this stuff, by the way, is optional. Um, So uh, for the listeners, if you're looking at cyber insurance, um, don't just assume that, hey, we have cyber insurance, so therefore we're insured against, and you start listing specific things. Some companies break it out and like ransomware to cover a ransom. Um, Some of the companies I was looking into, you specifically have to get a ransomware writer. Um, They have a different name for it, but that's the idea is that if you want them to be able to cover the ransom, you have to pay extra to uh, get that level of coverage. Otherwise, they're just going to help you, you know, oh, you uh, you need more tape backup systems because the one you have is going to take too long to get your systems back up. Because like we said, the basic purpose of insurance is to reduce downtime. So maybe you have to buy a couple of tape backup systems. 
so you can restore things in a third the time, that kind of stuff. They'll help with that, but they don't do a lot of things unless you get that extra rider. So I uh, wanted to warn everybody about that. But let's get into the ransomware because I'm sure that's the one on the tip of, of everybody's mind. And it's the reason why we even chose this topic today because we're on the heels of Colonial Pipeline. They paid $4.4 million. And JBS Meat Processing set a whole new record at $11 million. And I should clarify, a whole new record for the ones we know about because what we've also learned is that a lot of these things have been happening and they've kept it quiet. It's not going public. As a matter of fact, there was a uh, thing in the news this week about a bank that got fined a half a million dollars because they hadn't properly disclosed things. Uh, even though they disclosed they had an event, they hadn't disclosed all the details. So there's a lot of details we don't hear about these still, despite all the regulations. But how does insurance then apply to ransomware other than the fact that I said you got to buy a separate writer? So ransomware is one of the main drivers in driving cyber insurance, mm -hmm. right? Um, and some of the other reasons for people buying cyber insurance include, like we talked about, you know, business interruption, downtime, things like that. But ransomware is the most sought after coverage, right? And we all know the, um, you know, the downstream impact ransomware has with the two uh, attacks you mentioned, the Colonial Pipeline and JBS, um, from the insurance uh, insurance company's perspective, you know, sometimes they may pay the ransom, sometimes they don't. They actually take a hard look at a business's opportunity or a company's um, ability to recover data on their own, right? Um, mm -hmm. And and so um, if if uh, you know, and, and then they decide whether they will cover the payment of the ransom or not, right? Um, the other thing to think uh, to to note is that um, a lot of organizations are also talking about supply chain attacks. Mm -hmm. So if you you know before ransomware, it was all about supply chain attacks, right? Two months ago, two three months ago, with the uh, solar winds and another type of supply chain attack. So that's also driving a lot more cyber insurance. Well, and it can right? be just something as as simple as your shipping. Whoever does your shipping, you may be producing the product, you know, you, your case after case coming off the assembly line, but all of a sudden if your delivery company can't function, they don't, you know, all their computers are locked up, they can't send drivers to the right places, and, and all of a sudden for a day or two you can't ship. That could be a major disruption. When I was still in high school, I worked at a, at a factory that produced things. Um, and I was actually uh, a mechanic at the time. So even at 16, I was, I was trying to fix things I didn't understand. And um, if a conveyor belt went down, they gauged it. And again, this is 40 years ago, people. $75,000 a minute. That's how much they lost for every minute they couldn't get something down. And that also counted if the trucks weren't there on time, $75,000 a minute for not being able to ship. So on the supply chain, you know, there's so many people between you and your customers that even that end, it's not just supply team getting the parts, which is what we tend to talk about in the news. It's both ends of the supply chain. That's right. Right. And what's happening is uh, these, these supply chain attacks, the ransomware claims, against insurance, all of these are causing rates to rise, right? And obviously, oh, yeah. we are not surprised, right? That's how premiums work. Like, yeah, if you get into a car accident, you'll pay a higher premium. <laughs> yeah, my thought, exactly. <laughs> not that it's ever yeah. happened to me. 
<laughs> so I, the rates are rising and we all know that, right? And um, and so, uh, you know, in a recent um, report from Standard & Poor, actually, um, they're, they're expecting cyber insurance premiums to rise 20, 30% per year oh, wow. on average in the near future, right? So, um, uh, you know, it's it's a big market and um, increasing security breaches, all these big, big ticket attacks resulting in huge losses, all of those are causing increase in the uh, in the premiums. So that's something definitely that that uh, companies need to keep in mind. I know early on the the premiums were already pretty high, so twenty percent may not sound like a lot, but twenty percent on an already high premium, because they were gambling, and to this day they're still gambling. Um, try to find anybody who's really uh, willing to bet on. Hmm. How many more cyber incidents are we going to get this year than we had last year? I mean, I love to see the predictions come out every year from the cyber insurance companies uh, or not cyber insurance, just cybersecurity companies. Every year they go, well, what's your prediction for the coming year? Hmm. We're going to see more threats. Well, <laughs> duh, it's happened every year. Um, but how much more? Nobody's really willing to put a put a number on it. But cyber insurance companies have to. They're putting money on the line. So, yeah, their their premiums were already high to gamble. And because of that. I talked to a lot of people who are thinking about cyber insurance, but they aren't yet ready to invest in it. How popular is cyber insurance? So I would say that significant, a large number of the, uh, a large amount of the market, right? Almost like 85, 87% of the cyber insurance market is driven by companies that are less than 2 billion in revenue, right? Mm. Um, so these are like your mid-sized companies or smaller companies that don't really have the c- capital capacity to absorb loss, right? Mm-hmm. So they are the ones who are more likely to take insurance. Of course, there are some larger companies that do it too to hedge their bets, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, But some of the larger companies, I think you and I talked about this, uh, do sometimes, sometimes try to self-insure themselves yeah. right um whereas the smaller companies don't have the deep pockets they don't have the capital capacity to absorb loss so they are the ones who most likely will take insurance right yeah and the other thing is they um they don't have a big staff uh, security staff on on you know um to to really monitor everything that's going on on their network to um they may not even have a big defense in depth stack right from a technology mm-hmm. perspective so they kind of try to invest as much as they can in the technology and the security personnel, but then hedge their bets by taking um, cyber insurance as well. That that kind of plays in. You mentioned that you know they may not have the personnel to do certain just you know day to day processes, um, but those are the ones who also, when there is an incident, they definitely are going to need to hire outside people. So we talked about that's one of the things that insurance covers. Is, you know when you're hiring other people to come help you. So um, that makes sense. The other thing is, I guess intuitively, I'd, I've been thinking that, well, the bigger companies are the only ones who can afford those premiums. But then you mentioned the self-insurance. That makes sense, too. They're doing so much business that they probably can, you know, even, you know, the, the premiums are something they can write uh, a little better. The idea that I'm thinking of is like I myself, you know, when I buy appliances and things, warranties, um, when I was younger, I was buying them all the time uh, because I didn't buy them very often. I didn't buy a new appliance very often. When I did, I would get the warranty just to make sure I was covered because I wasn't going to be able to replace that appliance later on. 
But now when like I, I moved into a new home and my wife decided it's time to get rid of everything. <laughs> it's time to get all new. And we were buying so much. I just looked at the premiums and it was just cheaper to self-insure. So um, that was, you know, I can see now why at the mid-market, that would be more exciting and more interesting to them as far as insurance value or at the high level, they're more mature. They probably also have a lot of the personnel on, on staff that if they do have to respond, they're already better prepared to do a response than a mid-sized company. Exactly, exactly. So I think that's where, um, you know, we need to look at um, what works for a company, right? Um, <clears throat> how much uh, can they invest in personnel and technology? And how much do they want uh, to, um, you know, invest in like getting an insurance policy, things like that. So again, it's, it's for each company, it's different. It also varies depending on the industry they're in, right? Um, you know, obviously there are some regulated industries which have very low tolerance for any type of attack, right? Mm -hmm. um, so again, it depends on your vertical, the size of your industry, uh, things like that. Now, going a little bit back to the premium part here, we talked earlier that, you know, there's certain criteria you have to meet just to qualify to get the insurance. And then um, depending on how prepared you are, depend will impact your premium. So insurance companies aren't becoming security experts. I mean, they, you know, even like I said, when I go for life insurance, they look it up in a table and the table is created by somebody else. They might tweak it a bit, but essentially the, you know, mortality tables and incident tables and things like that are used for accidents and life insurance and so forth. What are they referring to to figure out what premiums to charge you? Yeah, like we discussed earlier, right? The premiums are going up. I think the cyber insurance market uh, is expected to be worth 20.4 billion by 2025, right? Yeah. Um, that's, that, that, that's a huge number, right? Yeah. And 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 you know it's 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 growing at a at a CAGR of 21.2 percent from you know in, in these coming years. So what what can companies do to reduce premiums? How can they you know get the best deal, so to speak, right? And um, this is where uh, what's called security scoring comes into play. Right. You may have heard of um, a security score as a three digit number, kind of like your credit score, which uh, which tells you how likely your networks and your 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 infrastructure is uh, um, to, uh, you know, to get breached. Right. Um, and they, they look at there are many third party security scoring companies that do this, that evaluate a company's next uh, network and security posture. And uh, one way they measure risk is they look uh, they uh, they look at networks and uh, from the outside, right? The security scoring companies' vantage point is from the outside, so they tend to look at several factors uh, on how you are, uh, how your network is um, is uh, will cope with let's say a, a breach um, attempt, right? So, um, and based on several factors, we're going to all the details of the scoring methodology and every company has a slightly different methodology. Yeah. Uh, things like visibility, things like um, have you put in, um, you know, basic security measures, all of that they will evaluate and they will give a three digit score. So the, the thinking is higher the score, the lower chance of risk, right? And so, if a company has a high security score, they're likely to be able to command a, a you know a lower premium 
from these insurance companies, right? Um, yeah. And security scoring is one of the ways that insurance companies um, try to assess risk of the organization that they're trying to insure. So higher the score, lower the premium. It's, it's as simple as that. And I would think this is uh, just occurred to me. We haven't talked about this before. I was thinking that, uh, hold it. So a lot of regulations and, and you know, whether it's industry, government, uh, whatever, to, you know, try to drive uh, organizations to be more secure. Um, a lot of it's about defense, but this is really a lot about response. So I imagine they're probably scoring more highly things like your tape backup response uh, capabilities and your response team levels of education and how, how you're staffed, um, who your partners are. You know, do you have an agreement where uh, another you know, provider will be on site in 12 hours? You know, all those things for your response probably have a much more heavy impact um, although definitely avoiding it in the first place <laughs> is important, but I imagine they probably score response more heavily. Uh, yeah, because I think everybody knows you can't block 100% of attacks that are coming you know, onto your network, right? Everybody knows that you can't prevent everything. So yep. um, you do your best in terms of defense and depth to try to block as much as you can. But then, like you said, having that uh, team and having the processes in place for a more fa uh, you know, nimble response, faster investigation, more visibility into what happened, all of those things will help a company recover faster, right? Mm -hmm. um, and so that is definitely something that's high on the list for uh, companies like, uh, you know, security scoring companies that look at how soon you can recover from a breach as well. So that's mm -hmm. absolutely true, yeah. Now, your, your director responsibilities at Infoblox are specifically over, over security. And uh, so, um, you know, but Infoblox doesn't do cyber insurance. But what you do do is, you know, security at like the DNS level. Um, you mentioned visibility a lot earlier that, you know, that's one of the things. And DNS visibility, I know having, you know, worked myself uh, as an analyst, an investigator, researcher, DNS was always goldmine of data. I loved having access to DNS data. And there were companies where it was very limited. So the amount of DNS data can vary greatly. And so that's one of the things Infoblox is going to do is provide that visibility on the DNS. And so is that how you got connected into all of this cyber insurance stuff? How did that tie? How did we get from DNS to cyber insurance in your background? Yeah, yeah. And it was a really interesting story. So we actually have um, um, a customer, right, um, um, in, in Europe. Uh, They're an energy company. And they were actually paying, um, you know, significant amount of money for cyber insurance, right? And one of the other things to think about is it's not just about insurance. It's about managing risk and it's about managing your reputation, right? So if you have a, a lower security score, you know, your partners will be wary of doing business with you. Your customers will be wary of doing business with you, right? So you can't really stay competitive um, if you have a poor security posture and a poor security score. So uh, what happened with this customer was um, they deployed Infoblox DNS security and within a few months, uh, their security score improved from like a lower intermediate level to an advanced level. So like I said before, it's just like a credit score. If you're on a higher score, then less likelihood that they're going to be uh, breached, which means you have a better, you have a better cyber brand or the sense you have a better, um, you know, um, posture. And so um, no other tech was deployed after Infoblox. And when their score went up, they saw 
that their reputation improved and their insurance fee, they were able to renegotiate with the insurance company and save about $1.2 million of cyber insurance fees over a three-year period. So, uh, you know, reduction in fees and costs is one thing, but you should also think, companies should also think about their um, their brand and, you know, um, and, and, a, and a higher risk, mm-hmm. a higher security score helps improve their brand. And so when you look at from a DNS perspective, um, you know, like you said, uh, Infoblox offers DNS layer security and visibility absolutely is the, um, is the number one concern for a lot of companies. And that's where we can really help. We can, um, with the DNS log information, we know exactly which device is going to which destinations on the internet at all times, right? Uh, you can have historical data. It's like an audit trail. Right, and then uh, with the DHCP um, fingerprint information and IPAM IP address management or metadata, you know exactly when new devices join the network, when they leave. When you have a compromise, you know where that compromised device is on the network, um, w- what type of device, right? Who it's assigned to with integration with AD. So there is that level of device identity and context and user identity and context that you can get with uh, DNS, DHCP, and IPAM. And that level of visibility, um, like you said, Bob, is something that's hard to come across in some of the other technologies. Yeah, the, uh, the, I'm glad you mentioned the, the appliance uh, or the device uh, detection capabilities. Um, one of my first uh, roles was as a, I'm a certified disaster recovery planner, uh, which means I help people or can help people. I don't do it anymore. Um, that, you know, you're worried about, hey, what if I drive up to work tomorrow and that building I used to call an office is just a pile of rubble or on fire? Um, And one of the biggest challenges people had was when they lost their entire facility, they weren't even really sure how many computers they had to order to get into a temporary facility to get back up to speed. They didn't know what they had. And that was 30 years ago, 20 years ago. And today, still with things like IoT, people don't realize, oh, crud, that's part of our business is actually automated by something else. Because IoT in businesses doesn't just mean thermostats and lights. Um, it can mean other things. Um, and, you know, security systems, physical security access systems and so forth. So knowing what's on your network also make sure that you're actually insuring the network. You can't insure a device uh, or a function that you haven't documented. So that that is good. Um, on the DNS side though, I mean, I was kind of shocked by the number, 1.2 million reduction in premium. That's about a third of what Colonial Pipeline paid in ransom. That's so, right. the, um, you know, we're talking a huge, and that's the savings. That's not their premium. That's how much they saved in premium. So, you know, this sounds like an organization that they're paying millions of dollars a year in premiums. They saved several million. Um, can you imagine what what premium or what uh, payout they are insuring against? It's, you know, it's got to be more than even the 11 million that JBS paid for. I mean, we're talking an energy company. And if they were to go down or have a have a, a, a an accident, you know, I don't know the energy company and I don't know if they're nuclear or something like that. I imagine their exposure is pretty high. So I can imagine ridiculously high premiums for infrastructure companies. Then we get to regular companies. And as we talked about earlier, they're still dealing with the fact that 
customers may have complaints. They have, I mean, I don't know how many times I've been offered free credit checking for a year. I think I'm set for the next decade on free credit checking. So the payouts that they get can be huge, which means the premiums or excuse me, the insurance amount they're buying is huge. And those premiums get really large fast. Yeah. But with all that visibility, I doubt visibility was the only thing that lowered their insurance. No. So you're right. So it was visibility was one aspect. Yes. Right. But there's also um, people don't realize that DNS can be a really great early warning signal. Right. For detecting malware CNC. Maybe the ransomware that breached the network is now trying to call home and get the encryption code. Right. Encryption software to lock up the data. All of that goes through DNS and people don't realize that leveraging threat intel and analytics on DNS queries at the DNS server level can really detect these types of malicious activities early before even a firewall or um, other defenses can see it, right? Yeah. So one of the re another reason that the security score improved for this customer was that by putting in Infoblox DNS security, they were able to not just... Uh, you know, get the better visibility, but also cover gaps in protection, right? Like data exfiltration via DNS, um, things like that. Yep. Significantly reduce dwell time because now your DNS uh, server is detecting and blocking these type of CNC lookups and malicious activity. It also prevents lateral movement of malware within networks. Again, if the malware is moving laterally, the perimeter security is not going to see that. So um, because the DNS layer security was such a great, um, what do you call it, complementary solution to other security tools they already had, they were able to improve their posture and um, really get a get a good higher security score. Great. So there is the detection and blocking aspect of DNS security that helped their score and hence reduce their premiums. Great. And that was a good thing to call out. This was something that they did to, you know, extra, not, not that they replaced a product or not, you know, you know, this, uh, that's not like a product pitch situation. It's more of a, hey, you know, there's always more you can do. And this was a step that I imagine it's going to pay for itself pretty quick when they can save 1.2 million a year. But unfortunately, as usual, we're running out of time before we've run out of things to talk about. But Krupp, I'd really like to thank you for joining us today. Thanks, Bob. It was great, great discussion. And I want to thank all of you, our viewers and listeners, for your time. And join us next time as we continue our efforts to help you stay on top of cybersecurity and ahead of cyber risks on Threat Talk. <laughs>